The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hey, this is Jeremiah from Remnant Church. We want you to be encouraged and filled with hope for your experience as you listen in. This life can be complicated, even confusing, but it's our hope that you catch a glimpse of God's unconditional love for you and His purpose for your life. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jeremiah Vick. So as I said, we're going to kind of go back to Genesis a little bit. So here's what I want to do to begin. I'm just going to kind of break everything down for you so you know where we're going and what we're going to be talking about today. So um, we are going to, first of all, talk about some, some main like, principles, some bars that, that God set, some standards that he set way back in the beginning. Okay, so we'll talk about three of those things. We'll look at three verses in Genesis and, and draw like a principle from each of those verses. And then we're going to jump into a few other places in the Bible that talk specifically about um, the family. And we're going to discover that there's actually three problems, okay, three like sources of all of our issues that we can trace everything that we struggle with back to. Okay, so if we get these three things right, then it should take care of all those other problems. Um, that sounds way too simplistic, right? <laughs> the reality is these are not easy things for us to um, have under control. So it's things that we, we need to be working at all the time. But as long as we're working, God is blessing and God is using us. Does that sound good? So let's jump into Genesis. I want to read from Genesis 2, verse 7. And uh, this is the creation story. As you know, uh, God took a week to make all of creation, and, uh, and this description of, of what God did to form us, I think, is beautiful. We've been doing a study that kind of has been centering on this idea. So Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living person. Now, I want you to think about this moment. Think about this verse and this description. I mean, first of all, um, before you ever start to think too highly of yourself, just remember where you came from, okay? We came from the dirt. Uh, that's pretty important, I think, for us. And, and maybe that kind of helps keep our humility in check, understanding that our place, our beginnings were, were pretty low. In fact, you really can't get much lower than the dirt, right? I mean... God takes the thing that is being trod on by the feet of animals and, and he gathers dust together and he forms his greatest creation. I just think that's beautiful because we came out of dust. So I think that if God had a perfect world and he had all these creatures, all these animals, all the beauty of creation and God would look at that and, and not be completely satisfied I think there's an important reason that God created us, that God created mankind. And I believe that God created mankind because God wanted to be in relationship with his creation. And it wasn't like God was going to have this, this great connection with like a zebra, right? It wasn't like, you know, God was going to find this kind of spiritual connection with the, any of the animals or, or even the beautiful um, scenery that he created at the beginning but God created mankind so that he can be in relationship. So, so the thing that we need to understand, and this is kind of a defining principle for us as human beings, is that the creator of the universe 
desires to have an intimate, personal relationship with us, his creation. I don't, I don't know if you guys get a sense of how big that is, what a big deal it is that the God of the universe would want to connect with us. When, when you think of the, the massive, just the, the vastness of, of the universe, and, and what a tiny, tiny speck this planet is in the universe, and then, and then to think of you know, where we sit on that tiny speck and understand that in all of God's glorious creation, he wants to have this connection, this intimate relationship with mankind. And, and that really kind of is the beginning of family. That's the beginning of this, this longing and this desire for relationship that God's placed in us. Look what it says in Genesis 2.18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who is just right for him. So God creates Adam, he forms Adam, and then he looks at Adam and he's like, something is not right here. Now understand that in the creation story, you have God doing each creative work each day, and at the end of each day, he looks at what he's created and he says, this is good. He's basically saying, great job. You did an outstanding job. This is beautiful, right? So at the end of each creative day, God looks out and says, this is good. And then he creates man. He creates man and he looks at him and he says, this is not good. Something, something is not right here. Something is missing. Now, I want you to understand something, okay? When God says, this, this man that I've created is incomplete, there's something that's, you know, that's not really coming together here. Understand something, that, that God decides to bring another person, another human being into existence. And, and I started to think, like, why were, there, why were all the reasons that maybe God said it's not good for Adam to be alone? Well, I thought about times when I'm alone. I'm like, I, you know, honestly, there's a lot of things that, that just can't get done in my life without my wife. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's, there, you know, it's like, how do these clothes get clean? This is magically appear, you know, it's like, there, there, I just, okay, so I'm wondering, do you think Adam, as he's like kind of walking through the Garden of Eden, do you think he ever like maybe took a wrong turn, and he's just like, kind of like, where am I, like, which, which way should I go, right, and maybe that was why God said, this is not good, Adam, you need someone to give you some direction in life, maybe that was it, maybe it was just that Adam was just doing dumb things all the time, and he needed someone in his life that was just like, hey, that was pretty lame. You shouldn't do that again, right? Wives are really good at helping us look better because we, you know, without them at times we can look pretty bad. But all of these reasons, I think, are, are maybe, maybe those reasons are supplemental to the real reason. And the real reason is that God hates loneliness. See, loneliness is the only thing that God declared does not belong in the perfect creation. So God created man, and he said, everything is good. The one thing that is not good and has no place in my creation is loneliness. And so I'm going to create a companion for this man. Then look at Genesis 1, 28. It says, God blessed them and said, be fertile, increase in number, Fill the earth and be its master. 
So God here issues this, this crazy commission on this couple. And he says, I want you to have kids. And don't just have one kid, have lots of kids. And I want you to kind of take charge of this creation. And maybe at that time, I'm not sure where Adam and Eve were standing when God was declaring this over them, but I imagine maybe they were just in a place where they could kind of see a lot of what was going on. And they could get like a pretty good glimpse, a pretty good view of God's creation. And as he's saying, you know what I want you to do? I want you to fill this place up with people and I want you to just be, this is, this is your home, and, and I want you to be in charge of all of this. And so God establishes the first family, and he like gives them their first assignment. And that is to increase and to make everything work together. Be in charge, be in control of what's going on here. See, the institution of family was God's plan for mankind and all the rest of creation to flourish. He started this family because he knew that if he created this, these relationships, then all of creation was going to benefit from it. Okay, so, so God is the one that started this whole thing, right? So, so what is the problem? What is the problem? This, this comes, we, we, brings us to this place where we ask ourselves, so what went wrong? I mean, I realize that Adam and Eve lived in, in the Garden of Eden, which is paradise, right? Perfection. There's, there's like nothing wrong with the place they lived. So it must have been something that had to do with them, right? I mean, we know the story that they rebelled against God. They did what God asked them not to do. And God says, okay, because of that, there's going to be some other crazy stuff that's going to be happening in your life. And life is not going to be as easy as it was going to be. And so God sends Adam and Eve out to continue to make good decisions and bad decisions, right? So, so the problem was with them, right? It wasn't with the environment that they were placed in. Now, I think we need to understand that because sometimes we look at our families and we're just like, man, if, <clears throat> if our situation was better, then our lives would be better. You know, we look at like, like where we live or we look at the, the car that we drive or we look at the, you know, the location that we live in, the geographic location. We're like, I live in El Centro. How can anything go right from there, right? It's like we look at our circumstances, the environment around us, and we want to blame our circumstances for the things that are going wrong in our families. Have you done that before? Let's just be honest. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to really ask yourself, have you done that before? You looked at your situation, you looked at your environment, you looked at what is around you, and you're like, how can I ever be successful? Look at the situation I'm in. But understand, understand that Adam and Eve were in a perfect place. God had placed them in a creation with no flaws, and yet they still found a way to mess it up. And that's true for us, too. I mean, to say this, you could live in the best place I mean, think of like your dream location, your dream home, right? You could live in that place and have all the stuff that goes along with that. And I guarantee not a single problem you have is going to go away. It's not going to go away because it's going to go with you. It's going to follow you. Because as someone pointed out today, the problem is you. The problem is me. Here's the thing. God established family, it was his creation, it was his institution. The first problem is, we act like it's our idea. We do family like it's our idea. So we run our homes, 
We do this family dynamic like as if it's something we came up with, right? And that's where we really run into some problems. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 21, verse 2, every man's lifestyle is proper in his own view. But the Lord weighs the heart. So understand that every single person on earth thinks that they are doing things okay. And maybe you're stuck in that same place. You see what you're doing and you're like, the problem's not with me. Like, what I'm doing is, is good. You know, I'm all right. It's people around me that are messed up, right? <laughs> God, it's the people you gave me as members of my family that are really messing up my vibe, right? These guys are making things not go well for me. But the reality is that each one of us, because our perspective is not God's perspective, like we're looking through our own eyes, and so we have our own selfishness and our own pride, and so that's the lens that we're seeing things through. And so we can say to ourselves, it's not my problem, it's somebody else's problem. See, when we admit, when we get to that point where we admit that the family is God's idea, it only makes sense for us to follow his design for our own families. So first we acknowledge, okay, God, this is your idea. Like, family is your institution. You established this. Now let me discover the rules, the guidelines that you have created for the family. You get what I'm saying? So when we think it's our idea, it's like we write the rule book. When we think a family is like something we came up with on our own, it's like we come up with the way family's supposed to work. But when we recognize that God is the one that started this all, then we go to him for the instructions. We go to God and we say, God, what is it that I need to be doing that honors you in my family? You know, back in the day when, uh, when people would travel, they would, uh, <clears throat> they would have a fixed point. And usually if it was you know, someone that was traveling at sea, um, that, that fixed point would be the North Star, Okay. And maybe you guys have heard that the North Star, you know, it's, it's always in the same place, right? It never deviates. As a matter of fact, it, it, it deviates one degree, okay? So, so I mean, that's pretty accurate. The, the North Star, like, never moves. It's always, always, always in the same spot. They call it Polaris, right? That star never moves. And so anywhere you're at, if you can find Polaris, you know that you are facing north, okay? But... Maybe you didn't know this about directions. I, I, I'm not a big fan of when people give me directions and they say, okay, when you get off the freeway, you're going to turn east. Because I'm like, what? Okay. I'm one of those guys that does like this, you know, when they're trying to think, okay, no, that's not, okay. There it is. That's left, right? So I just want to know if I'm supposed to turn left or right, okay? I don't really want, I mean, it's not that I'm bad with, you know, like, the compass, knowing where we're at. You know, I know that this is north. That, that's north, right? Yeah, I know that this is north, right? And I know if you're facing north, then the west is over here, east is over here, okay. But when I'm driving a car and I'm like been on freeways and been doing turns and stuff and I get off the freeway and they're like, you need to turn east. I'm like, okay, but which way am I facing, right? <laughs> I don't know. So I'm not a big fan of those kind of directions. But let me just say this, that maybe there's a reason for that because did you guys know that um, there are actually three different definitions of north. And you didn't know that. I'm going to just blow your mind here this morning so that you can maybe have something, another excuse for when you get lost, right? So, um, <clears throat> so there is true north, um, true north, which they also call geodetic north, and that is the actual 
Okay, so all the lines on the earth, you know, the longitude lines, there's longitude lines that run from pole to pole of the earth, and then there's latitude lines that run around the earth, okay? So all those lines that are running north and south, they all meet at a certain point, a geographic location, which is the very center of the earth's axis, right? On the south and the north pole. Okay, so that exact point is true north, the geodetic north, okay? But... How do you know when you're facing that direction? Well, they came up with this thing called a compass because the compass faces, the needle of the compass faces magnetic north. But magnetic north and geodetic north, or true north, are not the same location. No, they're not. They're actually about 600 miles apart. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not going to affect your directions when you're in the Imperial Valley, right? You head north, you know you're going to be headed that direction, right? But... So you have, this, you have this true north, okay, which is the geographic north pole, and then you have the magnetic north, which is the direction that the compass wants to take you. So what happens if you're going to the Arctic, right? See, I want to like kind of think this through a little further because you never know. I might be traveling to the Arctic someday. So I'm like following my compass, right? And I get, and I want to go to the north pole, and I get to the Arctic, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second here. I'm not in the North Pole. I'm in Canada. I'm on an island, actually, just outside of Canada. What is going on here? And I'm, and I'm right where my compass told me to go. This is north. Well, the reality is, and this is kind of interesting, the, the man, magnetic north actually moves. Uh, it moves about six miles every year. <laughs> Which, that would be really, some scientist somewhere is keeping track of that, okay? So we don't have to worry about that. We got GPS on our smartphones, and so we're good, Right? But I think it would interest you to know that when I say let's go north, there's a couple of options there, okay? And you might say, are you talking about geodetic north, or are you talking about magnetic north, or are you talking about astronomic north? Oh, there's a third one. Yeah, there is. The third north is actually following the north star, okay? That is the astronomic north. By the way, the astronomic north has, has su such a very small variance that it was a sure way. As a matter of fact, back in the day before compasses, people actually had better directions because they were following the North Star instead of a compass. They were, they were way more accurate. Okay, why am I telling you all this? Because I think you should know this. It kept me up at night, so I think you should be thinking about this too. But my point is this that we have, to, in our life, we have to have a fixed point. We have to have something that we can always, always, always go back to. We have to have something that never moves, that never changes, that will always be the same. And that is God and his word. Okay? So if we ever need to recalibrate our lives, when we get lost, when we get confused, we're just kind of fumbling our way through this family thing, there is one place we can always go. And there's not three norths when it comes to the Bible. There is just one, right? One truth. One truth that never changes. Family's God's idea. So that's where we need to look. <clears throat> look what it says in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. It says, He who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God 
has joined together. So here we have a true north direction from God. He says, a family that is brought together should never split apart. These two that have come together that God has brought together should be one flesh and never come apart. Now, we know, and many of you in this room have experienced, you've been touched by um, broken families, by divorce. Um, You've maybe even experienced that yourself. And and I'm not going to stand up here and say that you're you're bad because that happened to you. But I, I want you to understand something. Because we all know that that situation didn't happen by itself. There was, there was something that came in and distracted us from our true north. <clears throat> there was something that, that took us off course, and that's the reason that brokenness and separation entered into our relationships. Guys, if you want to protect your relationships, if you want to protect your family from brokenness, from divorce, from separation. If you want to protect that family unit, you've got to follow God's word. You've got to seek after the true north because this is the ultimate standard. And when we, when we start going off of our fixed point, then we start to make it our own. It becomes our own idea, and that's when things happen that shouldn't. The problem is, As long as we think that family is our idea, we will run it our way. Until we fully acknowledge that this is God's idea, then and only then are we going to look to him to see what the plan is, to find out what am I really supposed to do about this. Okay, so that's the first problem that we run into. Let's look at Genesis 1, verse 26, where it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. So this is something that I want us to sit on for just a little bit. Uh, When God created man, it wasn't like, you know, he was like, okay, I'm just going to come up with this design, right? He's like, no, I'm going to base this design off of something. I'm going to create man, and he's going to be based off of myself. He's going to be created in my image, and so there are going to be characteristics of, of this creation of mine that remind me of me, okay? Have you ever tried to do a self-portrait? Anybody ever tried a self-portrait before? Okay, you should have. Everybody's handshake. Everybody took art, right? Did you at some point have to do a self-portrait in art? That probably had to be pretty embarrassing, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you're trying to draw yourself and you want it to, you know, you want it to look like yourself, but, you know, if you don't really like the way you look, you're like, okay, maybe I'm going to make this look a little better than the real me, okay? I don't know if you struggle with that. I was really good at art, and I used to get frustrated because they would tell me exactly what I was supposed to draw, and so I'd be like, oh, man, I want to do something more creative, right? And so when I would came to this idea of drawing a self-portrait, you know, I tried to, like, add different things, you know, maybe... You, I, I, I remember one art class... Oh, man, I was bad. My teacher must have really hated me, but um, I remember one art class where I was supposed to draw a self-portrait, and, and like, I drew, like, an old man, and then... And then she was like, what is this? Like, why did you draw this old person? I'm like, no, that's, that's not just an old person. That's me when I get older. Yeah, it's a self-portrait of myself like 50 years from now, right? I mean, it just made perfect sense to me. But So when we draw, when we draw ourselves and we think of ourselves and there's an image of ourselves, there should be some resemblance, right? I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. A portrait is supposed to resemble the subject. 
And so God, in his creative work, as he created each and every one of us, he made a semblance of himself in us. There's a term for that. We've actually talked about this before at Remnant. It's called Imago Dei, the image of God. And it's defined as this, an intrinsic human dignity that God has given us that places us above everything else in the creative order. Now, we've talked about Imago Dei before. We've talked about how God, because he stamped his own image on each one of us, that we are valuable and precious to God because we're a reflection of who he is. And so what happens is, if you strip somebody of that image of God, then they become less dignified as a human. And a person that is stripped of the God-given dignity that they have they don't behave in a very dignified manner. Which is why you find people that hurt other people are people that have a low self-image of themselves. Does that make sense? People that have kind of a a skewed perspective about who they are are going to treat others in a way that's undignified. This is why the image of God is so important. This is why this idea of Imago Dei is so important to us because God put his image in us and he wants us to reflect him. And it's not just in the way we look, but it's in the way we act. It's in the way we treat others. It's in the way we interact. The image of God comes out in all of that. And when we're not reflecting God in what we do, then we have this distorted image of who God is. But there's more going on here. There's more going on. Look at this verse again. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, if you're tracking with the creation story and you don't know anything about God, all of a sudden you're like, Wait a second. There's more than one God? Like, what is this? Does God like has his own little creative team? Like, why does he say us, our what is, that, what is God meaning when he says that? Well, if you understand the Bible and you've had a little bit of, you actually don't have to understand all of the Bible. You just have to have a basic understanding of who God is. We know that, that God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity, right? You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's a descriptive term of who God is. So we have the triune God who is three persons in one, okay? That's hard for us to fathom because we don't even know what that would look like, Okay? I mean, what does it look like for us? I mean, you, you can't have three persons in one person, right? I mean, that's like actually a, a clinical behavioral disorder, right? I mean, but we have to understand that God is three persons in one. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is never, ever going to make sense to us. I mean, you could have the greatest theologian in the world sit down with you over coffee and break it down for you, and you're still going to walk away and be like, Wow. That's, yeah, I still, I still don't get how that works. But we take it at faith and we understand that that's true because it's what God tells us is true. And so when God is expressing in this act of creating man, when he's expressing whose image he's going to put in man, he says, let us put our image, our image, a plural image into the creation of mankind. And I think that there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason that at this point. Now, by the way, so God's, God's pluralistic name, Elohim, is mentioned like 2,500 times in the Bible, okay? I mean, it's, it's mentioned a lot. So the Trinity is like a theme throughout the Bible. So if anybody ever tells you 
The Trinity is not taught in the Bible. It doesn't exist. By the way, there are groups of people out there, religious groups that believe that the Trinity does not exist. Okay? But the Bible about 2,500 times confirms that the triune God is three persons. Okay? So that, that is a truth that we have to accept. But understand that when God is creating man, and he's saying us and our, and he's creating mankind in, in his image, God is already thinking on terms of plurality. The family, you understand what I'm saying? The family unit, multiple people coming together as one. That is already a part of God's design. And so it's wrapped up even in God himself. The character of God is reflected in the family, in more than one person coming together and acting as one unit. Does that make sense to you guys? So the image of relational intimacy, love, and unity that's present in the triune God is stamped on the institution of the family. So that pluralistic image of God that, is, that we describe as the Trinity, that, that image is stamped on the family. So there's something going on here. There's something that needs to be mirrored in the family that is mirrored in God the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the unity and the connection that the Trinity experiences is something that needs to be reflected in our families. So what's the problem? Where do we get this wrong? Like, well, where do we mess this up? <clears throat> the problem is we make family all about us. We make family all about us. We kind of forget this idea of God's image and we forget this idea of the Trinity being reflected in the family. And we just make the family about us. And so we start to build our lives around who we are and not who God is. And that's where we get off course. When we refuse to recognize God's own image on the family, we don't treat it sacredly. We make it about us instead of God. Now, what do I mean by treating the family sacredly? If we knew and if we lived like the image of God is stamped upon our families, don't you think that we would have way more reverence and respect for the family? And guys, let's think about this. In the society, the culture that we're a part of, is the family really held very high in a, in a value? No, the, our society is very individualistic. It's, it's kind of moved more and more that direction. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But let me read a couple of things that help remind us that God's image is stamped on the family. Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So here we have image of God stamped on the family, the love of God reflected in the family. Another verse, Titus 2 Verses 3 through 5 says, Encourage the young women to love their husbands so that God's message will not be slandered. In other words, if there's not this love that's coming from the wife to the husband, then the people are going to have a confused image of what God looks like. They're not going to fully understand what God's love looks like because it's not reflected in that love between husband and wife and wife and husband. Another verse for you, Colossians 3, 9 through 10 you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image 
of its creator. Now, here's the thing. If you're here today and you have a relationship with Jesus, God has begun a new work in you, okay? And I don't know when that work started because I don't know when you encountered Jesus for the first time. But I do know this. If that work is happening in you, then the old things, the things that don't belong in our lives, those are the things that God is calling us to push away. And so the influence of our culture that would tell us that family is not valuable, that family is not a priority, those things need to be pushed away because God works through families. He always has. And God desires that the family institution that he established way back in the beginning continues today to operate under his guidelines. We make family all about us and we we toss all of what God has done out. And the more we make family about us, the more we blur the image of our creator. And we do not want people to be confused about who God is. If there's any way we can reflect accurately God's character, it can be done through our families. You ever taken a selfie with a group of people and then you look at the picture? Let me just ask you this question. Whose face do you look at first? Yeah. You get where I'm going with this, right? It's like you, could, you might take a selfie and everybody in the picture looks great except for you. And you're like, oh, we got to take it again. Right? We, we got to take it again because it didn't come out. We're like, well, let me see it. And then they look at the picture, and guess who they're looking at? Themselves, right? And they're like, no, this is a great one. We don't have to retake it. <laughs> this is like the best picture I've ever taken, right? Understand something about us as human beings. Like, it, it's all about us. It's all about us. We don't really care what everybody else in the picture looks like, right? One dude's got his finger in his nose. We're like, I look great. Let's just crop him out or something, right? Photoshop or, you know, whatever. It's, it's all about us. It's, it's just the way we are influenced in our society. And, and it really, uh, to be honest, we don't need our culture to influence us because we're already kind of wired that way, right? That's, that's kind of just who we are. We're already all about ourselves. So we need to understand that when it comes to the family, if we can begin to take our eyes off of ourselves... And maybe if it helps you think of the selfie picture, I mean, next time that someone takes the picture and you're looking at it, don't look at yourself first. I, I, this is going to be impossible for you. I already know because your eyes are just go right there, you know. Try looking at everybody else for a while. Try Ask yourself, does everybody else look great in this picture? Maybe it doesn't really matter if I don't have my best smile on. Maybe it doesn't matter if I forgot to do the duck face, right? Like... <laughs> It's going to be okay because it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. And, and if we're going to truly represent the image of God in our families, it's going to be about him. Let's look at the third problem that everything else is kind of rooted in. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Think about this verse for a moment. Submit to one another. This, this word submit is kind of, you know, it sounds kind of, I don't know, strong. It's like 
has a really strong uh, connotation to it. But, but maybe the word yield sounds a little better to you. You know when you, uh, you pull up to an intersection and it's that triangle that says yield instead of the octagon that says stop, right? Like, like, what do you do? Do you behave differently at a yield sign? Yeah, you do, right? Do you behave differently when there's a yield or when there's just, like, no sign at all and you know that you have the right-of-way and you can just, like, blow through that intersection? Yeah, when you, get, when you come up to that intersection and it says yield, you know, okay, I need to be considerate of who else might be on the road coming my direction. Okay, and that's what, that's what yield means. It means pay attention to who's around you and make sure that you don't get hit. And, and this is the idea of submission to one another. It's an idea of yielding. It's like you're about to cross the intersection. You're about to do what you want to do. You're about to fulfill one of your desires. And you pause and you look around at everybody else and you say, is what I'm about to do going to affect somebody else negatively? That's what it means to truly honor each other. That's what it means to truly yield your will, your desires, your privileges to somebody else. And that's the idea that's wrapped up in this verse, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, we need to understand that the unity and stability of the family is based on the surrender of selfish preference. This is where the family gathers its strength. This is what makes a family stable. Because the most unsettling thing to a family is a bunch of people that always want their own way. And they're coming together and they're looking out for their own interests, right? That means they can't agree on anything. They, they never see eye to eye because they always, each person is trying to push their own agenda. And this verse is saying it needs to be the opposite. We need to yield to each other. We need to, to have this reverent respect for Christ that is displayed in our submission to one another. So what's the problem? What are, where, what are we getting wrong here? Well, I think mainly we think of family as a group of individuals. We think of family as individuals. Now, Understand something. I, I mentioned earlier that our society is, has become very individualistic. Okay? So if you look at cultures um, and other parts of the world, you see that there is a, a, a slightly elevated value of the family. Okay? So in Mexico, right, just across the border, there is a, a, a more elevated value of the family because that society is not as individualistic as our society, right? It's like people don't just leave home and never return. Like in America, it's like not uncommon for someone to leave home and be like, see you guys later. I'm done with you, right? <laughs> Peace, right? <laughs> That's it. That's like the, you know, it's like you'll come back for holidays to visit, right? But you're not going to go back and like start supporting your parents when they are aged and you're not going to be like, you know, there for the family all the time when they really need you, right? I mean, for the most part, we're kind of like on this individual trajectory and it's like kind of away from our families but that's not true in other cultures in the philippines that's not true family is highly valued people live together fellowship together commune together i mean they're just together right families just stay together that's that's now okay i want you to understand something because in in places where individualism is like pushed down 
there is not as much like innovation and technology and advances, okay? And, and one of the things that I think has made our country great is that this, you know, because of an individualistic surge in our society, there's a lot of creative things that are happening, a lot of innovation, a lot of entrepreneur, like all that kind of stuff, right? So there's a good sort of element to that, but think about the cost of an individualistic mindset. Think about the cost. Think about what is being left behind. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we need to be living with our families all the time, right? I mean, if you're like 35 years old and you're, and you're living in your mom's basement, and I, it's probably an issue, right? You're like, okay, son, it's time to move out, right? I mean, there is a point where we need to like start our own families, you know, become a little bit more independent. But the idea is that we maintain this connection with the people that we love, the people that God has placed in our lives. And that is something you see less and less of in our society. And why do we see less and less of that? Because the, it's like the further we get along in life, the more like, self-focused we become as a society, as a culture. But is that the way God wants us to be? Is that what, what God wants family to look like? I don't think so. I wonder. See, as members of the family, we, we each have a part we each have, like, a responsibility. It's like God's given us each an assignment. And if you search the scriptures, you're going to discover that whether you are the father, the mother, the son, the daughter, the family pet, that's not actually in the Bible, but if, if you are a member of a family, there is something in God's word that helps you define your role. Okay, there is, there is an assignment for you. There is a mission for you as that member of the family. And by the way, your position in the family is going to change. <clears throat> so it's good for you to learn what everybody else's job is, okay? Because you're not always just going to be the son. One day you're going to be a father. You're not always going to be the daughter, right? Someday you're going to be a mother yourself and you're going to have a daughter or a son. So we have to think in perspective of the family as a whole like how is the family supposed to be operating we need to be well versed in this we need to understand what are God's principles for how the family should operate again some great verses that might help channel that with us Uh, I think I skipped something Lynette sorry about that each member of the family must do their part in bringing honor to God that's that whole point that I was making there we have our own assignment so each member of the family is doing what they can to bring honor to God Let's look at a couple of verses here. Ephesians 5.33 says, So each husband should love his wife as much as he loves himself, and each wife should respect her husband. Hebrews 13.4, Marriage must be respected by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will judge the immoral and unfaithful. Wow, God has some parameters on relationships when it comes to intimacy in the family that need to be observed. How do we know that we're in violation of those rules? Well, if you're married and you're expressing some sort of interest in someone else, another individual, you are violating this. And and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not talking about like outright affairs or adultery, but I'm talking about if there's like this, this interest, something that is pulling your attention away from your spouse 
in an unhealthy way, that's, you're starting to cross that line. If, if you're not married and you, you're, you're living together in a place where you're kind of, you know, playing family, I guess, you might think. I mean, that's really, in our culture, in our society, that's, that's like not frowned on at all, right? It's, it's, it's almost like test driving a vehicle, right? It's like you go to the, <laughs> you go to the, the dealership and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to buy this one or that one, right, until I've actually driven it and made sure. But that's not God's standard for how we're supposed to deal with relationships. No, it's like you pay for the vehicle, then you drive. Everybody tracking with me? I don't want to get any more <laughs> detail than that. So, so understanding, understanding that, that there is a, a standard that God has given us in families that needs to be followed. Super important because everything starts to break down when we start to cross the line. Ephesians 6.1 <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. <laughs> I love how God's command for children to obey them is almost the same command that parents give their kids. It's like, do what I say. Why? Because it's right. Right? Because I said so. That's basically what God's saying here. It's like, children, obey your parents. Why? Because I said so. That's enough. Like, end of story. No more conversation. Go clean your room. Right? Proverbs 1.8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and don't reject your mother's teaching. Guys, the Bible is chock full of instructions for how to operate in a family. There are, just, there are tons of places in the Bible. And you don't have to, like, talk to a pastor to find those places. I mean, just Google it, right? I mean, there are, there are so many places in the Bible that set parameters for us and help us understand how this family dynamic is supposed to work. But we have to look after it. So, your father's instructions, your mother's teachings. How many times have you, and we can all speak as sons and daughters, today, but how many times have you done something in life that your parents were like, I don't think that's a good idea? And it wasn't a good idea. Yeah? Has that happened to you before? Yeah. It's happened to me quite a bit. Right? They give you some advice. They give you some counsel. They're like, this is what I think you should do. That's my advice. And you're like, that advice sucks. I'm going to go do my own thing. Right? <laughs> And then you end up in trouble, and then you got to go back and be like, oh, that didn't work out, I'm sorry, I should have listened to you, blah, 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 blah. Really should have just read the Bible and paid attention to what God said in the first place. It wouldn't have happened. So all this instruction is <clears throat> so important. All these, these um, pieces that come together that help us understand how the family is supposed to function. We're not going to find it anywhere else but in the Bible. I mean, there's, there's helpful resources out there, but all these principles are going to come from God's word. And what happens if somebody is not paying attention and not doing what God has said, here's what you need to do. The entire family suffers. The entire family suffers when one member ignores God's standard for them. So it's not like you mess up and it just affects you. No, it affects your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your kids. It affects everybody when you mess up. When you start to, to slip below the standard that God has set, you put your entire family in danger. Everybody's in trouble. It's, it's like boot camp, you know? It's like when, when one 
you know, person messes up, like everybody has to do push-ups. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like that one guy, right? That's what it's like in the family. Everybody suffers when one member ignores God's standard. 1 Timothy 5, 8 reminds us, but those who won't care for their family members, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith and are worse than unbelievers. Wow. Denied the true faith and are worse than unbelievers. That's, that's pretty intense. See, if, if you're not performing your God-given role within your family, the problem lies in your relationship with God. There's something not right about your personal relationship with God if you're not fulfilling your role in, God's, in the family that God's given you. This all comes down to your personal relationship with God because if you're not tuned into what God is telling you to do, if you're not paying attention to the parameters that God has set, to the guidelines that he's given you, and, and it's not just good advice, guys. I, you know, people are always looking for advice, you know what I'm saying? You run into problems in a family. It's like, it's like you don't want to go to counseling to have somebody tell you that you're doing everything wrong, okay? You just want like a little bit of help. You're just like, just kind of point me in the right direction and I'll be good, right? You don't want someone to be like, hey, here's what you're doing wrong. This is it, right? I mean, but this is what God's word does to us. We look at God's word and God breaks it down for us. The Bible tells us in the book of James that, that God's word is like a mirror. It's like standing in front of a mirror and you look at the the, the image that's there, and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I got mustard on my face, right? Or there's something not right here, and, and God is saying, you've got to fix it. You've got to fix it. And that's a responsibility of each and every member of the family, to look at God's standard and just constantly, constantly be recalibrating their life so that it lines up with what God says. And if everybody in the family is doing that, the whole family benefits now, you might ask the question, what happens if I've got a family where there's just, you know, one or two people in the family that are just don't want to honor God? They don't want to live for God. They just want to do their own thing. Well, are you asking, what do I do in that case? Because I've already given you the answer. You just keep doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. You pray for them. You love them. You care for them. You do everything God tells you should be done. Don't treat them differently because they're not meeting up to their end of the bargain. Because it's your responsibility to meet your end. Does that make sense? And let God, let God take care of them. Let God work in their heart. You cannot fix the person next to you. You can't. Some of you have tried. Some of you have tried to fix that person. And how did that go for you? Not too good, right? You probably made it worse. You have to let God fix the problems. You have to let God work in a person's heart. And, and what can you do for them? You can pray for them and you continue to give them the honor that God says they deserve. Even when you think they don't deserve it. Here's the thing that we need to understand. You cannot honor Jesus 
out there in the world if you're not honoring him in your own home. If you're not doing everything that God has called you to do and like giving it your best in your home, you're not going to have any kind of influence out there in the world. We've got to get it right at homes, guys. We've got to get it right in the family. I, I, I look at you guys and I, I think about some of the brokenness, some of the hurt, some of the dissatisfaction, just all these, these I mean, there's all these negative elements that just kind of, you know, well up, but then I remember, then I remember that there's a God that loves us so much that he stamped his own image on us. That he's like, you are beautiful. You are perfect because you remind me of me. That's what God says when he looks at you. Guys, we need to live up to the image that God has placed on us. And we can do it. We can do it. It doesn't matter whatever mistakes you've made in the past. That doesn't matter. God can mend those broken places. God can bring healing. Guys, when you understand that the God of the universe, the God that created everything, is interested in fixing your family, I mean, you've got a pretty big person on your team, right? I mean, you've got, you've got the ability to be able to have not the perfect family, because we're never going to be perfect, right? But you can have a godly family. You can have a family that honors God. You can have a family that has peace, that has happiness. All the things that God says your family deserves, those things are yours. All you got to do is pursue him, honor him, and he'll bring those things to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you have stamped your own image on our families that you desire to have this, this intimate connection with us, that you want to be in relationship with us. God, I don't know why you want to love us that much, God, but we know that you do. And we know that you want to be reflected in our families, that your glory should be shining when people look at our families. God, that's what we want too. Help us, help us, God. I know that there are hurting people in this room right now. I know that there are people in this room who have family members that have hurt them, that have betrayed them, that have ignored them, neglected them. God, there's a lot of pain here, but we know that there's no pain that Jesus cannot overcome. We know that there's no struggle, there's no, there's no argument, there's no... problem in our families that you, God, are not powerful enough to overcome. And we trust you, God. Help us, help us, God, to do our part. Maybe you're here today and something I said, God spoke to you through that, and maybe you realize, man, this is what I need to work on. This is what God is telling me I need to fix. This is the, don't do it on your own, guys. Don't just take notes and be like, okay, I've got my checklist. This is what I need to do. No, go to God and say, God, help me 
Only you can do this through me, God. I need your help. Guys, we, we are all imperfect. We all have imperfect families. But if we trust God and we look to him to guide us and to lead us and to show us how to treat each other and how to love each other, then we know God is going to bless. God's going to bring healing. So I know there's some of you here that just need, you just need prayer. Just lift up your hand if you need. So I want to pray for you. Just bring you before God and say, this is, these, this is what I struggle with. This is what's happening to my family right now. Just lift your hand up. I'd love to be able to pray for you today. Whatever that struggle is, God knows exactly what it is. Just lift up your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. God, you see these hands. God, and you know what's going on in these hearts and in these families. Father, you, the creator of the family, know exactly what they need. And so I pray right now, God, you would touch them. Touch their lives. If there's a change in the heart of a person that can have influence and can do something about the situation, God, you know what change needs to take place. And so I ask, God, that you would begin right now to make those changes. Help each one of us to surrender our own will, our own desires to your will, to your desire, to your plan for our families, for our homes. God, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I can't wait to see how you transform families when family members are surrendered to you. So God, would you do that today? Do that in the lives of each person in here that needs your hand on their home. Thank you, God, and we love you. We'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, here's the thing. If, you, if there's something that you're struggling with, if there's something that you know you feel like you're up against a wall, I, we would love to, to be able to pray with you. And I'm not saying that myself or Jerry, or, you know, I'm not saying that we're going to have all the answers. And it's, we're certainly not perfect ourselves. If you're looking for someone who like, has the perfect family, then you're not going to find that in us. But you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a little bit of direction from God's word. And you, you, don't, you don't have to go to us to... To, to get to God's word. I mean, you can go to, get straight to God's word, but I know sometimes it just is great to have the encouragement and knowing that someone's praying for you, knowing that someone knows a little bit more about your situation and is willing to pray for you and just lift you up. So if you need that, then please talk to us. We'd love to be able to, to know how we can pray for you guys. We love you guys, and knowing how we can pray just makes it that much better. And, you know, I didn't mention this as I was talking about the family, but we, we are a family. This church, we're, we're a family. And, you know, we're not a perfect family, but we love each other. And we need to be there for each other. And if there's someone in, in the room here that you need to spend time with too, and maybe there's a shoulder you can cry on that's in this room, I encourage you to do that. Use each other for what we're meant to be used for, and that's to encourage each other and lift each other up. Does that sound good? Awesome. Let's all stand together. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us at remnantchurchonline.com.